Saturday morning, I sent a, something that God was putting on my heart. All week long, I've been preparing something. And then this morning, yesterday morning is when God began to move in my heart. I heard these words this week, and they resonated in my soul. Jot these words down. Pain redeemed is better than pain removed. Pain redeemed is better than pain removed. That just to take some pain away literally can make your life easier. But when pain is redeemed, it grows. The, the character of Christ begins to grow in us. And I want to talk to you about those redeeming painful moments today. And you're going to see this come alive, what I want to talk to you about today. I want to talk to you about the confessions of a confused man. The confessions of a confused man. I was reminded uh, just recently of, a, of an envy struggle I had when I first started in ministry. It was a struggle of envy. Um, when we first started in ministry, um, and it all happened when I saw one of the old cars that I used to drive drive by me. This is going to be a throwback. When I entered into ministry, the car that I drove was a Dodge K-Car station wagon. And some of you are wondering why I wasn't married till 33 years old. Let me just tell you that that definitely contributed to it. It was a station wagon with paneling on the side. And if it wasn't worse than that, it was yellow. And so it was so bad that the red lights were going on on my engine failing that, that I didn't have money to fix it. So I, this is the honest truth. I would tape pieces of paper over the red lights so I wouldn't have to address it. That was very mature as a senior pastor to do that at, at, at that time. And I remember driving this Dodge K car and, and thinking to myself that it brought me to a place when I was doing the best that I can at 27 years old, leading a church in the inner city of Detroit and driving this K car and going, God, I don't even know if this thing's going to make it from day to day, let alone week to week. And I remember there was a gentleman in our church. His name was Roger, who's with the Lord, one of the humblest and godly men that I know, worked in a hospital. I'll never forget that he said, I just submitted my name. There was a hospital lottery, and I won. He won a brand new Ford F-150. I was so upset. I thought to myself, and this, I'm just telling you, this is the confessions of a confused man. I'm just telling you, I, 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 and this is what I'm embarrassed to say. It. I literally, I told God, I said, God, I'm godlier than him. Not, not then. I said, I'm godlier than him. I pray more than him. I said, I read the Bible more than him. And this was my question. Why him and not me? And I know that I'm the only one that has probably ever said that in this room, that nobody else has ever said that. I remember our friend, Dr. R.T. Kendall, called me one day and told me one day, that part one of this verse is much e is, or that part two of this verse is much easier than part one. When Paul says in Romans 12:15, he says, "Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn." We find ourselves, we can mourn with people much easier than we can to rejoice with them. When all of a sudden you see the blessing upon somebody else and you didn't get the blessing, and I watched envy come in, because a slowness sometimes. A slowness to rejoice really begins to betray an envious spirit inside of us. The slowness to rejoice with other people's blessing betrays an envious spirit that I had. What, what, but what would have made Roger winning that F-150 way more confusing to me 
is if Roger was not a Christian. I'm going to give him that he was godlier. I'm going to give him that God wanted to bless him. And, but, but what if Roger wasn't a Christian? I'm going to heaven and they're not, and you're giving them a free truck and I'm a pastor. I, I don't get that. If I'm living with you forever, I better get something free <laughs> or, or, or I'm in, or I'm going to begin to get really confused here. I don't mind you, God, blessing other Christian people and even non-Christian, but don't bless them as much as me or more than me is what was going through my mind. See, we won't say stuff like that, but a godly man did and went public with his internal confusion. His name is David and the chapter is Psalm 73. And God didn't remove his pain, but he redeemed it in this chapter. And I want to give you an anchor today to hold when those rogue, confusing thoughts seem to come and, and seem to just um, overwhelm us at times. Because David got into a problem that many students are getting into today. I was reading a survey just recently of students in junior high and high school of the people that they most admire. And the top 30 names were artists, actors, and athletes of the people that they, they admire. Not one religious leader, politician, author, painter, doctor, astronaut, or educator was on that list. And literally, David was acting like a junior higher. David was acting like a student in Psalm 73 because he was looking at a group of people that were causing him confusion. He was watching their F-150 moments while David was still in his Dodge K car confusion. These are David's musings during a time when he's not doing so good, but all the non-Christians are. And David is faced with this confusion. My mind went back to a, something that Thomas Watson, a great Puritan writer, said. Listen to these words. He says, Satan does not tempt God's children because they have sin in them, but because they have grace in them. Had they no grace, he would not disturb them. A thief will not assault an empty house, but a house where he thinks there's a treasure. When you have the enemy attacking you, it's because he sees something in you. He's not going to attack a vacant house. If Christ is in you, then strap up. Battles are on its way. How do you protect your mind and your thoughts from going through these moments, these rogue moments? Well, let's read Psalm 73. We'll pause at some important parts, but we're going to begin to look at something and find an anchor here to help us. Let's read a good portion of this. Psalm 73, David starts like this. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. And I love the transition. You have to see it on the screen. But as for me, first, God's good to the, those who have a pure heart. But as for me, what David was saying was, I'm, I'm not pure right now. I, I'm, I'm about, David is about to show us a whole group of people that have got their F-150s and he's still in his Dodge K car. I want you to watch what happens. But as for me, my feet almost slipped and I nearly lost my foothold. Here it comes. Why? For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggle. Here it comes. Listen to David's. This is fantastic. They have no struggles. Lie. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They're free from common burdens. They're not even plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. 
He says in verse 7, from their callous hearts comes iniquity. Their evil imaginations have no limits. They scoff and speak with malice, with arrogance. They threaten um, oppression. And he goes on to say in verse 9, their mouths lay claim to heaven. Their tongues take possession of earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say, how would God know? Does the Most High know even anything? This is what the wicked are like, always free from care. They go on amassing wealth. They drive F-150s. Surely in vain. That, I added that. That wasn't in the Bible. Surely. Now look at, look at verse 13. Surely in vain I've kept my heart pure. Do you see what he just said? Man, maybe it's not, maybe it's not worth it serving God. And I've washed my hands in innocence, in vain. All day long, I've been, this is one of my favorite parts. All day long, I've been afflicted, and every morning brings new punishments. One version says, every morning, I'm getting chastised by God. God is convicting me of stuff. They seem to never be convicted of anything, but I get convicted of everything. If I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children when I try to understand all that it is, it's troubled me deeply. And then here it comes, get ready, till I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny. Surely you placed them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly they are destroyed and completely swept away by terrors. They are like a dream when one awakes. And when you arise, Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. And when my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you, yet, yet, I'm always with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will take me home into hallelujah. How many are ready for glory for that? And here's what I love. Right after he starts to figure it out, he starts to sing something, because Psalms are a song, that we'll sing at the very end today. You, this is the context of the song that you've sang here at Times Square Church. And then he just simply says this, who have I in heaven but you? In earth there is nothing I desire besides you. My heart and my flesh, they fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. This Psalm is priceless. I'm so thankful that the Holy Spirit has led us into the, to really the musings of a confused man. David's struggles are thoughts that keep advancing and intensifying. And I'll show you that in a second. It's not just a thought. It is advancing. And the more it advances, it begins to in, in, intensify. And David seems to have this kind of mind battle all the time. Later on, a few chapters later in Psalm 94, David simply says this, whenever my busy thoughts are out of control, it's the soothing comfort of your presence that calms me down. See, the struggle of Psalm 73 comes from these why questions and then comparisons of us and them. Why is this happening to them and not to us? Why is this happening to them and even not to me? It goes something like this, Times Square Church. We, we started the same business as those people, and I know they lied on their application. I know they lied on their certificate of occupancy. Why didn't I get the job or the promotion, and they did? They've stolen from the company. They didn't clock in, and yet, yet we're gathering 
even money from a time clock punch that they didn't even make. Someone made the punch for them. I'm struggling with my salary, and yet they're, do, they're not struggling and they're, because they've got a second income of money that comes from under the table, and so they're not even paying New York City taxes. I know nobody's ever said these things. So I'm just, these are just out there. Why did I get cancer and they didn't? They don't even go to church. Why does my child have this sickness and condition and theirs don't? We have a Christian home. Why didn't I get accepted to this university and they did and they get drunk every single weekend? All, all these thoughts come. I have personal friends in Major League Baseball that have struggled with why did we stay pure from PEDs and they didn't and now our knees and our bodies are breaking down because we stayed pure they got six extra years from using performing enhancing drugs they got more money millions of dollars I left on the table because I did it right I've heard these talks I've heard these these comments that have come to me and here's where David went wrong David decided that what he saw was all there was. That, that's where all of a sudden the confusion comes in. I look and going, that's all there is. And David was missing it because the, the rogue and the wrong thoughts that David has, as they intensify in advance, he goes from others and it goes to himself and then it goes all the way to God. It's this advancing and intensifying that begins to happen because what David thought was all he saw was all that there was. He leaves God out of the picture. And here's what he missed. Listen to what he, his, his, the advancing, intensifying thoughts that went from others to himself and to God. David says in Psalm 73, 4, they have no struggles and their bodies are healthy and strong. Well, that's not true because he doesn't see the whole picture. Verse 5, they're free from common human burdens. They're not plagued by human ills or sicknesses. That's not true either. Skip to verse 12, and it even gets crazier. Some verse 12 says, and this is what the wicked are like, always free from care. And all they do is keep amassing wealth while I'm still struggling. And then all of a sudden, he transfers it. Remember, it advances and intensifies. And now he starts even thinking about himself. And surely in vain, I've kept my heart pure. Listen to the way the message version says it. I've been stupid to play by the rules. What has it gotten me? Think, think what, this is David saying these words. This is David. It's the confessions of a confused man who's still driving the Dodge K car that's, that's about to blow an engine and wondering why everybody else gets, seems to be better off than him. And it's totally not true. And then it goes from them to him and then he lands on God. And listen to how it says, verse 11 reads in that message. Stay right there. What's going on here? Is God out to lunch and nobody's tending the store? Wow. It's, the, it's David that is facing this. And, and basically what David is saying is this. Is it worth it to serve God? Okay, everybody listen very carefully right now for just a moment. I want to say this to you and I want you to get it. It's hard to be a Christian, but it's too dull doing anything else. I'm just going to tell you that right now. You can, folks, I don't care what you do. I don't care what your occupation is. If you're not a Christian, I'm telling you the most exciting life to live is living a life that is given over to Jesus Christ. That's really what it is. And, but it is hard. 
There is difficulties. This section makes me think of these words from St. Teresa of Avila in the 16th century. This saint whose writings have had such great impact was going through a tough time. In fact, she talked about that all throughout her time of serving God, she was dealing with, they didn't even describe it this way, but she was dealing with these massive headaches. We would call them migraines, that every day there was no relief, no medication, nothing she could do but just cry out to God. And she, this was her Psalm 73 moment. Listen to what she said. I loved it. Lord, if this is the way you treat your friends, it's no surprise you have so few of them. I love that honesty. It's the confessions of an honest woman. This is what's amazing to me. I've struggled with these moments. I've struggled with the moments that you pray, God, can't you do this? God, can't you provide? Can't you heal this individual? Can't you take care of my father, my son, my children? You know, I was on vacation uh, with a family, and I remember listening to a podcast. He's gone to be with the Lord, considered to be the Billy Graham of Central and South America, Luis Palau. Over 50 years served Jesus. 50 years of preaching the gospel to tens of millions of people. And someone asked this 86-year-old man this question, and he said something so insightful that really, and I want you to get ready to either take pictures or write this down. You need to take this and tuck it away. Because one of those moments that brings confusions to people that, that are believers, one of the difficulty moments is, what do you do when you ask God, when you're dealing with your F? When you're dealing with your K-car moments and you're going, why, why isn't it fixed with the F-150? And he talks about prayer, and this is what Luis Palau said. He said, in my, my, my 60 years of serving Jesus, Luis said this. He said, it was prayer that I struggled the most, and then I realized after decades of decades, here it comes, folks, that there are five ways that God answers our prayers this liberated me. So get ready. Get phones out. Get writing tools, whatever you do. How many still use a pen and paper? Would you raise your hand? Okay, six of you. Okay, so let's just say this. Here we go. Five ways that God... I'm just going to give them to you quick. This is, this is what God responding to it. Here's the first way. Yes, I never thought you'd ask. Remember what James says? You have not because you... It's just God going, yes, I never thought you'd ask. Number two, no, I love you too much. This is God saying no because of his love, and he knows what this thing can do. God, I want to marry my teacher. No, I love you too much. Number three, yes, but not yet. That's the delay part. That's the timing part. So remember this. Here it is. Yes, I never thought you'd ask. No, I love you too much. Yes, but not yet. That's timing. Here's, here's one of my favorite ones. Yes, and here's more than you've even asked for. This is God doing above and beyond all that we can ask or think. And then my favorite one, here it comes. Yes, but differently than you thought. Folks, this liberate, it broke me free. Listen to it. Yes, I never thought you'd ask. No, I love you too much. Yes, but not yet. Yes, and here's more. Yes, but differently than you thought. You know what it did? It broke me through my Psalm 73 moment. It broke me through that moment that I was going, why haven't you answered? 
And I, and I, I, I just knew God was going, no, because I love you too much. Or yes, but the timing is not right. See, when you're in a battle, who you talk to is one of the most critical decisions you can make in the intensity of the battle. Who you begin to speak about this battle. That's why thinking about Luis Palau's words, his words was, were like rescue. It was, it was like, it was, uh, it was almost um, such freedom for me to hear from him and not somebody else. And that's why David was, was so careful because the warning that David gives to us is battle talk in the wrong ears can bring betrayal. Battle talk with somebody. Listen to what he says because we're, we're part of a generation in the church for those that don't know it, you can go back and watch it on YouTube. We did five sessions with Dr. R.T. Kendall on a whole new thing that's happening in the church with a new generation called deconstruction, deconstructing of the faith. People that are raised in a church now beginning to deconstruct. And what they're doing is they are betraying the next generation because they're speaking about their own battle. Listen to what David said. If I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. And what's happening is there is a group of leaders that are deconstructing the, the doctrines of the faith. And what they're doing is instead of beginning to process with God and process with the right people of the battle, they are beginning to betray the next generation. They're infecting people because what they've done is they've had no sense of, let me, Lord, let me give it to you like this. It says it like this in the Passion, Passion Translation. If I had given into my pain and spoken of what I was really feeling, it would have sounded like unfaithfulness to the next generation. Think of this for just a moment. It's not a matter that you can't process your pain, but it's an issue of processing up with that pain because your struggles could create struggles for people that are not ready for your same struggles. And we have to be careful of who we're processing with that we're processing with God, with leaders, but not with those unfamiliar with this kind of journey. And David said, if I would have spoken of my struggles to those that have not, that not have gone through this, I would have even messed up their lives. And then David realizes, so then where do you go, David? How do you fix this? And this is where I want to land for just a few, for a few moments. David, everything changes for him in verse 17. His reset, his reboot of his heart, mind, and soul the confused man who's stuck in his, in his, in his dodge moment, in, his, in, his, in, in this feeling of where do I go from here, he starts to realize how, and I want you to see it, how and where the reset happened for David. And here it comes, folks. I love this. All of this is going on, and he says, and then I got answers. Till I entered the sanctuary of God. And then I understood. Or, or listen to it out of the message. Until I entered the sanctuary of God, then I saw the whole picture. Because something began to take place in the sanctuary of God. See, the sanctuary, I believe, is simply the house of God. It's the church that makes, that's making time to hear God's perspective on things and not just what you see happening out there. That, that's why we want to challenge you. Something, as we have been, in a sense, not only open, but reopening and finding paths through, 
That's why I think it's so important for us to let you know as we have done so much online and now we're beginning to open and do some things, especially in person. And so that's why we tell you until I entered the sanctuary and started to take those private thoughts processed up and begin to get the God perspective on things. That's why it's so important not just to be here and not just to be in any connect group, but I want to invite you to be part of something that starts um, on June 9th with us which is our next steps group on June 9th that every Thursday, whether you've been born again for one week or whether you've been attending this church for 30 years, I want you to ask for you to make a commitment that in the annex, starting June 9th, every Thursday night at 7 p.m., we're gonna begin to walk through um, that moment of not only reintroducing, reconnecting, of getting people back in fellowship with one another, but also getting them serving one another and serving the community and serving in missions and making it larger than what just happens on a Sunday. It's been slow, but we're wanting to make sure that we do it right. And so that's why I want to encourage you. In fact, when you start coming, you can just sign up by just texting NEXT to 51,000. That gets you involved and gets you going. So whether you're born again for a week or whether you've been born again for 50 years, it doesn't matter. It's going to begin to help us and you to begin to have that sanctuary moment, to have that moment with people. And even if you're going like, I can't attend all four weeks, it is going to be revolving. And so if you can't start on January 9th, you can start on the 16th. On June 9th, you can start on the 16th. And it just goes on and on. It is an on-ramp for fellowship, serving opportunities, great teaching, and to connect here. Because when, someone said it like this, absence does not make the heart grow fonder. Absence makes the heart wander. So when you stay away from fellowship, and I think it's just as legit, those that are watching from Belize and Fiji, Those that are watching from France and Indonesia and Malaysia, I want you to listen. I think it is just as important if you're connecting online with one of the online connect groups. I believe it's just as important if you're watching those that are watching from Germany and those that are beginning to watch even from the UK and the Philippines and Colombia. I want you to understand in Nigeria that if God is beginning to connect you, then I think it's just the sanctuary can be even connecting online. See, and this is what is so important. When we get that God perspective, then we begin to understand really in that light what really is going on. Remember what St. Teresa Avila said when she said that God, if this is the way you treat your friends, it's no reason why you have so few of them. All of a sudden, as she began to let God unpack and unfold some things, she continued to write this. She said, in the light of heaven, and you're going to see this with David, in the light of heaven and eternity, the worst suffering on earth, a life full of the most atrocious tortures on earth, she says, will one day be seen to be no more serious than one night in an inconvenient hotel once we step into glory and be with Jesus. The confessions of a confused woman, the confessions of that precious woman all of a sudden began to understand things from a different perspective. She was saying, be careful of processing from a limited view. There's a bigger picture. That's what, that's what we read in verse 17. When David goes, when I entered the sanctuary, then I saw the whole picture. And when we get to the end of this as, as in, just, in just a few moments, David, what David says about the wicked in the beginning of the chapter 
is totally different what David says at the end about the wicked. Because now the God perspective begins to come on this. What he was saying was by going to church, he puts himself in the presence of God and gets the perspective of God. See, when David puts God back into the equation, his whole outlook changes. That when you get close to God, you get his perspective. But when you get far from God, you get the world's perspective. You only saw a little slice. See, we live in a world that's into price tags and not into real value. And here's, here is the revelation that so gripped my heart from this passage, and I want to read it to you. The revelation from this passage was this. God accepts me messed up and all. What, what do you mean, Pastor Tim? Okay, stay with me for a moment. I love what William Coffin said. He said it like this. God's love doesn't seek value. It creates value. Do you understand that? It's not because we have value that we're loved. It is because we are loved by God that we have value, which means God can't not love you. No matter what you've come into this place, no matter how you're watching here, God loves you just as you are, not as you should be, but loves you so much he won't let you stay in that condition. That's what's amazing. I want you to take notice of what I mean. Okay, let me tell you what, because some of you may have missed this. Listen to verse 21. David says this, when I was beleaguered with bitter and totally and bitter, totally consumed by envy, totally, look at these words, beleaguered and bitter, consumed by, by envy, totally ignorant, and I love this part, and a dumb ox in your very presence. Look at verse 23. I'm still in your presence. Do you know what that is? He says, I have envy. I have bitterness. I'm a dumb ox, but yet you still invite me into your presence. Oh my goodness. Talk about an amazing God. He says, I am so messed up right now, but God, thank you that you're not messed up right now. That in my bitterness and envy, I'm as dumb as an ox. You know what that means? God likes honest people. That's what that means. You may be sitting here today. I'm confused about God. Awesome. He's going to invite you into his presence today. That's what blows me away. So let me go back to the big picture. And let's do this quickly. Let me give you three quick things that helps us to stay on big picture thinking, the whole picture. I want you just to take these three quick thoughts that helps you kind of process through when everything else around us is starting just to kind of shake. Let, let me, I have to tell you this. I read this um, recently, and I, I mean, I cringed. Um, there was a storm down south, and some shingles came off a roof. They wrote this in an article, and some man didn't want, uh, just like, like all of us, didn't want to spend the money to get it fixed. So he said, I'll go on the roof, and I'll fix the shingles and pull off the... So he doesn't have the proper equipment, so he tied a rope to himself. And because of the steepness of the roof, threw the rope on the other side, get ready, tied it to the bumper of his wife's car. Okay, it gets worse. And didn't tell her. You already know what happens. 
she takes off, and so does he. What I'm saying to you is this. When you're, when you're on some real slippery slope, you better hook up to something that's not going to move. You better find yourself hooking on to something that, that when that ship is moving on the ocean, find what's battened down and say, I'm holding on to that, and that's what I want to give you today. I want to give you something that's going to be unmovable. Three quick things. Number one, it's this. It's going to sound familiar. It's just simple. God is faithful. God is faithful. What does that mean? Faithful means God is consistent and he keeps his words. What, what he says, he does, and what he says, he means. Can, can I just help you with one of those promises that I think is so important in, in the times when we're on those steep roofs, when we're dealing with our K-car seasons? Let's, let me give you one of those faithful promises. He says this in Hebrews 13, 5. He says, because God has said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Hebrews 13, 5 is a rare verse. And let me tell you why. Because we translate it as he will never leave you nor forsake you. That's good English. But that's not good Greek. Because what, the, what it actually says is Hebrews 13, 5 literally contains a triple negative in the original language. And that is not good English, but it is good Greek. It should be translated this. He will never, never, never leave us nor forsake us. Why does he say it over and over again? Because when you're, on that, when you're on that slippery slope and you're dealing with confusing thoughts, you need to hear it over and over and over and over again. And you know what? I'm so thankful that he will never, 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 never leave us. That's the kind of God that he is. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Number two is a grateful heart. What do, you, what do you do in these moments? What do you do when you're faced with those confusing times? It's not only that we're trusting the faithfulness of God, but I'm telling you, a grateful heart fights against those things. A grateful heart brings the peace of God. I, I was reading the story or the, the study of Sean Aker, a psychologist from Harvard, who did this giant government study that if you are grateful for five minutes a day, it will change your life. He teaches all these people that if you set aside five minutes a day and practice gratitude um, and take three, three uh, simple but yet concrete things, whether it's I'm thankful for a delicious takeout dinner, I'm thankful that my daughter gave me a hug or my boss complimented me. He said, after three months, the participants who had been part of the experiment were more joyful and content. And after six months, they were happier, less anxious, and weren't even depressed anymore. And the study ends with that made people, what made people happier and less depressed and less anxious was being grateful. So when I read this, I go, sorry, Harvard. Sorry, Dr. Acor, we could have saved them a lot of money. God said it way before Harvard even said it. If people would just listen to what God has to say, you can understand going, God already knew what was going on, because he's God. 
Listen to it. Because gratitude can place, can take the place. Gratitude can take the place of, of antidepressant pills. Just being grateful for God. Listen to these words. Philippians 4, 6. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God your needs and don't forget to thank him for his answers. Here it comes. And if you do this, you will experience God's peace, which is far more wonderful than the human mind can understand. His peace will keep your thoughts and your hearts quiet and at rest as you trust in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. And finally, not only is God faithful, and not only does gratitude bring healing. These are big pictures. Let me just give you this final one. Eternity is real. It's, this is the big picture. This is where we close. Eternity is real. My children know this. There are only, there are only two songs that make me cry every time I hear them. I cry every single time. The national anthem makes me cry every single time. If I'm at a Yankee game or a New York Rangers game, once they play that national anthem, I'm so grateful. I know we've got, listen, I know our country has issues, and this week is going to be a hot topic. This, let me just tell you this. I'm so thankful for the country we live in. With all of our issues, I'm so thankful for our country. And we are next week, and get to celebrate next week all the brave men and women that have not only gone before us, but have protected and still serve us. But two songs, national anthem, and the only other one is this. It's I can only imagine. I don't know what it is. Every time they sing that song, I just, I, it just, it gets me. As you read the words, I can only imagine when that day comes, when I find myself standing in the sun, I can only imagine when all I would do is forever worship you. I can only imagine, surrounded by your glory, what will my heart feel? Will I dance for you, Jesus, or in awe be still? Will I stand in your presence, or to my knees will I fall? Will I sing hallelujah? Will I be able to speak at all? I can only imagine. It just keeps my perspective. When everything else and all the, the weights seem to come down here, sometimes I have to lift my eyes a little bit higher and go, I can only imagine what that day's going to be like. Not lose sight of eternity. It's, a big, it's an anchor I hold on to when confusion starts to hit. So when I face my Psalm 73 moments, and it's the confession of not just the confused David, but sometimes of a confused pastor. Apostle Paul says it like this, sooner or later we're going to have to face God regardless of our condition. We will appear before Christ and take what's coming to us as a result of our actions, good or bad. That keeps us, this is what he says, thinking of heaven, that keeps us vigilant. And you can be sure it's no light thing that we'll all one day stand in the place of judgment. That's why we work urgently. There's a reason for it. We work urgently with everyone. We meet to get them ready to face God. God alone knows how well we do this, but I hope you realize how much and how deeply we care. We have, uh, 
over the years with our kids. You find yourself playing all these, as they're growing up, you're playing all these different games with them. The one that I can't stand is Monopoly. It's like, never ends. Never ends. I don't like the negotiations because one person can mess up the whole thing. And Monopoly, for those that don't know, it's, it's, you accumulate as much property. You, you, you cleverly trade, you purchase, you're hoping your dice lands and you're buying up, putting houses and hotels and wanting them to land on the green, the yellow, and the blue. And they never do when you own it. But when they own it, you always land there. And I end up with the light blue and the purple and Baltic with a hotel. Give me five dollars. And people think that life, that life is we just get, we just keep accumulating, we accumulate. But it's not that way. You know what life is more like as my kids kind of graduate and we started playing other card games? It's more like Uno or Phase 10 or Crazy Eights. The point is to give it all away, not to get. It's to get rid of the cards. That what Monopoly does is give me this, give me that property, give me all this. That's not what this is about. You know what life's about? I want to get rid of everything for the glory and the presence of God and to say, God, you own it all. You get it all. Why? Because eternity is real. When it's all said and done, that every one of us, that, that, that this is what God is asking for. And can I tell you what the first card God asks for? It's not Sunday. It's your life. Many people think religion wants your first card to be come to church. And God goes, mm-mm. I don't need your Sundays. I want every day. I want every day from you. That's what it is. It's God asking for every day. Let me ask you even today. Because God is asking for that today. In the midst of confusion, the midst of our society and everything else, I've heard some of my confessions of a confused pastor, confused David, confused Saint Teresa of the 16th century. And I have to believe there's hundreds of confused people that are in here that are going, God, what do I do? Can I just tell you, God is faithful. I'm grateful for all that he's done. And eternity is real. Those are anchors. Those are anchors for us. If you're sitting in the balcony, if you're on the main floor, and if you're watching online, I'm telling you, eternity is real. And the only way you can get a perspective and a handle on a world that keeps moving, and you don't know what's going to happen every week. You wake up one morning, and we're on the verge of World War III. You wake up another morning, and now they're threatening to reenact mask mandates, and all of a sudden, we could even see more coming and variants taking place. You wake up another morning, and now we're, we're preparing for riots to come again through the Roe v. Wade decision and all these things. You don't know what to We need a perspective, and here's what it is. God is faithful. Here's a perspective. I'm thankful for all that you've done because I need peace when everything else is going crazy and eternity is real. And the question is, are you ready for that? Then you got to get rid of the cards. You got to hand them out. You got to go, God, here it is. Here's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Here's my life. Here's my soul. Here's everything. Take my mind, my soul. God, it all belongs to you. That's the relationship. 
Religion asks for an hour and a half on a Sunday and relationship asks for every single day. And Jesus calls this new relationship called being born again. That's what he calls it. It's being born again. What does that mean, Pastor Tim? Okay, these are Jesus's words. These aren't Times Square church words. These aren't Protestant words, Catholic words. These aren't, these are Jesus's words. And Jesus says this in John 3, 3. He says, no man can see the kingdom of heaven unless they're born again. What was he saying? He was saying, just as you had a first birth physically, you need a second birth spiritually. Many of you born in a hospital. Jesus says, now something, someone needs to be born inside of you. Because if I was to ask you the question, how do you get to heaven? Because Jesus just told us, how do you get to heaven? There's so many different opinions here. Well, you got to be a good person. That's great. We want you to continue to be a good person. Well, I was baptized or I had communion. I went to the mosque. I was at a synagogue. I'm a, I've taken care of my family. I haven't hurt anybody. My parents are religious. I'm sitting in here, aren't I? Those are all great things, but that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, you have to be born again. In fact, verse seven says, you must be born again. What he was saying was this, don't make an option. What Jesus says is a necessity. Basically, what he, was telling was, what he was telling us was this. If there's anybody who knows directions to his own home, it's Jesus. And if you've never been to heaven, then you don't know the directions, and he just gave them to us. You must be born again. That's what he said. So those in the balcony, those watching online, those on this main floor, it is the most important question. Then how, Pastor Tim, how do I become born again? It's as simple as A, B, C. Here it comes. Listen, A, admitting each one of those letters. A, admitting that I'm a sinner. At the moment we're born, we're broken on the inside. The condition is called sin. The diagnosis is sin. There's not a priest or a pastor, a promise or a program. No matter how perfect you become, it will never fix the sinful condition in us. One pastor said it like this. We're not mistakers in need of correction. We're sinners in need of a savior. I don't need a second chance. I need a second birth. Then how does that happen, Pastor Tim? That's the B word. It's believing that God sent his son to fix our sinful condition because I couldn't fix myself. If we could fix ourselves, then why would God have to send his son to die for us on the cross? If we could fix ourselves, if, 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 you're, if your path to heaven is you just become a good person, then why would Jesus have to suffer? It doesn't make sense. But Jesus became our sin bearer. He was dying the death we were supposed to die. Living the life we couldn't live and giving us a reward we didn't deserve, heaven and forgiveness. And finally, see, confessing him as Lord, Romans 10, 9, and 10. Lord means you're in charge now. You're the boss. Jesus did not die on that cross, raised from the dead, simply to ask for a Sunday for 90 minutes. Jesus' goal was not to get you to church. Jesus' goal was to get you to heaven. That's what his goal was. I want you to close your eyes, bow your heads for just a moment. If you're watching online and if you're in, with us live today, it's the most important decision you can make in your entire life. And if you're here today like David was going, I'm beleaguered with envy, bitterness. I feel like a dumb ox. I'm confused with God. I'm confused with it. And here is what David tells us. Even in that condition, he calls us in. He calls us. Pastor Tim, 
you're going to ask for people to be born again, but I'm not perfect. Exactly. You may come with that whole condition that David talked about, but I'm telling you, it'll be the greatest decision of your life to let God come in, to give you a God perspective on life. God changes us from the inside out, from the inside out. This building can't change you. These seats can't change you. Times Square Church can't change you. Only God can change you. And if you're here today and say, Pastor Tim, man, whether you're online or in person, say, I, I want to make that decision today. I want to be born again. I want to start a journey with God today. No matter why you're, how you got here today, I want to start a journey with God today. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray a born again prayer. In fact, we're all going to pray it together. You won't feel alone. And right now, for, for a few more weeks, we're not going to call you a front. We're not going to make you stand. But if you're here today with every head bowed and every eye closed, I'll be the only one looking. And you say, Pastor Tim, when you pray that born-again prayer, I want to be part of that. I want to start that journey with God today. So when you pray that, Pastor Tim, would you include me in that? Okay, this is the most important decision. Eternity is real. It's real. And if you say today, would you just put me in that prayer today? I want to start that journey with God today. Balcony, main floor, without any hesitation. If you say, please put me in that prayer today. I want to start that journey. Would you just hold up your hand? Hold it up as high as you can. I want to make sure I see every hand. Keep them up high. Hold them up high. There's one, two, three, four, five. Keep them up. I want to make sure I see every six, seven. Keep them up. Eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. Got you back there, 15, in the balcony, 16, 17. Keep them up. I want to make sure 18. That's fantastic. You can put your hands down. Thank God for all of you that put your hands up. If you're watching online and you're making that decision today, just type in that chat bar. Just say, I'm deciding, deciding, deciding. Just type it in right now. From wherever you're at around America and around the world, just type in decided. And we're going to even help you with next steps. With, with every voice in this place, would you join with me in pr praying this prayer? Come on, join with me and pray this prayer. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe that on the cross you took my sin, my shame, and my guilt, and you died for it. You faced hell for me, so I wouldn't have to go. You rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to be born again. Okay, come on, we say this loud. God is my Father. Jesus is my Savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper. And heaven is my home. In Jesus' name, and everybody's... Thanks so much for listening. We hope you've enjoyed this message. And be sure to subscribe so you can receive new messages each week. Visit tsc.nyc for all the latest info on how you can stay connected. Also, don't forget that you can follow us on social media on all major platforms at Times Square Church. Thanks for tuning in today. Have a great week.